Well, hey, we are excited to uh, dive in because we're going to start a new series called, uh, called Grounded for a Life. Grounded for a Life. You can go ahead and put that up on the screen there for me, Johnny. And we've got this Grounded, thank you very much, Grounded for a Life. And the idea is very simple. Um, we're looking at Grounded for a Life in the context of 1 Corinthians. Okay, so everybody pay attention real quick. For the next three months, three or four months, we're going to be going through the letter of Paul to the Corinthian church called 1 Corinthians. And so let me kind of give you just a, a, a framework here as you dive into this. Number one, you need to know the church, this is important, these are things you don't know, the church at Corinth was no more than 50 people, okay? Like that's on the, that's on the large side. If 50 people about as large as it can be, because there's, there's, there's a picture in there of them going and meeting at someone's home, no home there in Corinth could ever fit more than 50 people in it at one time, okay? So we're talking at least 50 people or less that were part of the church at Corinth. You've got to recognize, too, that 1 Corinthians is a response. There are some unknown letters that were written back over here. We don't know what they said. But Paul is dealing with that letter. So everything he's covering in this letter is 1 Corinthians. There's 2 Corinthians also, right? So everything he's dealing with are things that were in that letter. Okay, so there's a letter written. Then there was 1 Corinthians. Then you had a letter back. And then there was 2 Corinthians. Okay, just so you can have a heads up. And so what I want you to recognize in the context of Paul is that Paul has a very strong relationship with this church. In fact, uh, theologians and historians will tell you that Paul probably, out of all his church plants, probably spent more time with the Corinthian church than any other church we read about in Scripture. At least a year and a half he spent with them on the road. You know, when he first got there, he met Priscilla and Aquila, and he hung out and made tents with them, right? So he spent a period of time here in Corinth. And so it was, uh, and it's just an interesting, you can go read the history of it. It's very, very interesting reading about this history of Corinth. It, honestly, it was basically a, a, a colony that was built that, um, that, anyway, Rome had come in, reestablished it because it had been kind of crushed back in the day. And, and then took all of their um, bunch of freed slaves and a bunch of people who had been part of the army, kind of who had retired, and set them up here. And so Corinth became, a great place. Corinth became a great place, but it was not esteemed very highly in the context of the Roman Empire. In fact, there were these, there were these uh, writers who talked about the poor people who had to live in Corinth because it was so unloved by the gods, right? So my point is there's this, all this stuff going on in Corinth, but it is a, it's basically a, new, a nouveau rich type place, people who are trying to establish themselves. And so when you see tension and diversity and disunity happening, some of you are like, uh, where's this applying to me? But it's really important because you have to read. Listen, you can't read a book if you don't know who the people are. Like, could you imagine picking up a love letter between, a love letter between two people? And trying to understand their in, like all the things that they're saying and these inner stories in their, in their writing, if you don't know who they are. Like, don't you love, like, if you read my parents' love letters versus your grandparents' love letters, which one do you prefer to read? Your grandparents. Because you know them. You know their story. You know where they came from. Who they are. You have to know who they are. You've got to recognize there was a context to every word that was written. And so you have to recognize there's this nouveau rich. So they're, they're literally at odds at one another because they're all trying to establish themselves as someone in this culture. They're living at tension. And so you see these great divisions. It's one of the very first things that Paul deals with in the letter to the Corinth. He deals with their divisions. It's the primary, one of the primary purposes of writing. 
They're literally, the church of like, if you like, I don't know, there's like 160 or 70 people in this room right now. So if you take 50, that's the whole church in the city of Corinth over here. You made it. Good job, Luke. You made it. Doing a good job. So he's in the church, right? They're in the church of Corinth over here. That's it. And they're literally divided right there at Clay and Brian. They're duking it out right here. Right? Duking it out. Oh, you know, you're terrible. We're better than you, whatever it is. Right? This whole dynamic going down. And so what you begin to find then is that there are some serious issues. And so what I love about 1 Corinthians is because it really is the greatest snapshot and picture into the life of a church in the entire Bible. And you've got tons, you get tons of information about the issues. In fact, sociologists, if they study an early church, they study Corinth because there's so much information, so much information here. And so I want you to recognize that if you don't have somewhere to read quite yet for the new year, choose 1 Corinthians and just begin to go through it and begin to, when you, you know, go and Read the history of Corinth and see what's going on and put yourself in their story and recognize it's a real people at a real time in history with real issues. And they're a church who are moving the charismatic gifts like nobody else that we know and they're completely immature in it and in sin. And there's just all this stuff going on. So we're going to look at the life of these Corinthians because the idea is very simple. You understand how foundations work, right? We're going to read here in 1 Corinthians 3 in a second that Paul has come in and built the foundation of Jesus. And they have the capability of being grounded for life on the foundation of Jesus. This is important. But they are building structures that are not grounded on that foundation. And so we're going to read here in a second that, P, that Paul is very concerned for them, that when difficulties and hardships come, and then when Jesus returns, will what Jesus find, finds, will, well, would it, will it be what it's supposed to be? In a sense of the language we're going to use, kind of this foundation building, is it up to code? Is it up to code? You know, when I was a kid... My parents' aspirations, literally from before I was born, was they wanted to live on the lake, specifically live on Lake Lanier, right? And that was their aspiration and their goal. And they, my, my dad and I, we, you know, we fished up there, I mean, probably 30 days a year, right? We, just, we loved Lake Lanier. We would go up and we would go boating Lake Lanier. I learned how to water ski on Lake Lanier. It's like I learned how to do everything on Lake Lanier. It's just a great, great place to be. And and uh, it's the first place I skinny dipped. Yes, I'm just going to say, of course, I was three, but it's not a big deal, right? So, you know, but no, but Lake Lanier was my world. Like, I love Lake Lanier. It's my place to go. And so, uh, so I'll never forget, after my junior year of high school, like, that's where we went on vacation. We didn't go to the beach. We went to the lake, right? And we, we had fish and water ski, fish and water ski, fish and water ski all day long is the best thing ever, right? And so, anyway, we're, we had this issue with our propeller, right, our prop on our engine. And so my dad's going to drive from... Um, Basically near 400, exit 17 now. And, and he was driving into Gainesville to the prop shop, the Gainesville prop shop. And you've all been there. It's a great place to be. Now, he's taking his prop up there to Gainesville. And so he's driving in his, literally in his bathing suit and some ripped up t-shirt and flip-flops. He sees this property on Highway 53, just north of, of Little Hall Park, right? And he sees this property that's up for sale. Like it's, like they're literally that day, having an auction. And so my dad stops in his flip-flops and no checking, no checkbook, nothing. 
And he goes in and says, hey, I'm here for the auction, <laughs> right? Didn't know it was happening. Walked in and walked away having bought seven acres of prime real estate on Lake Lanier. And the angel chorus is saying, hallelujah, right? It was a fantastic. He comes home, so I got some news. The prop is fixed, and I bought seven acres of prime real estate on Lake Lanier. And we're like, whatever, right? And I'm spinning in circles, jumping around. This is fantastic. And so in that, it was a great moment. So my dad took the seven acres. He split it right down the middle, took this three and a half acres that was not the prime of the real estate back here in this cove. I had some water on it and sold it for the exact same price he had bought the whole seven. All right. Hallelujah again. Right. And so anyway, he's just this perfect real estate thing. Never happens. That had to be Jesus. Right. And so anyway. This begins the journey for us of, of building a home. And so my dad, I'll never forget, we sat down. This was a conversation that he and my mom had with me. And they said, all right, Steve, I've got, got a proposal for you. I've got a couple options. We were living in, uh, in East Cobb at the time. I was going to Pope High School, for those of you who know the area. <clears throat> he said, all right, so we can wait and build and have the house done when you graduate so that you can stay in the area and go to school or we can build now and you can just drive back and forth every day from Gainesville. It was not a hard decision. I'm like, we're driving. <laughs> hey, let's do this, right? And so by April of whatever year, 92, we had built our house on, that makes me 42, for those you're doing math right now, right? So we're sitting there and we went and like, yes, we're going to build this house, have it done in April. And we did. It was fantastic. We built this house and I fished literally every day. It was fantastic. Now, I'll never forget the process of building the house. I've never been a part of that process before. And those of you who have been, you're going to know the story. It's that we go up there and says, we're going, to, we're going to break ground this week. And I'm like, fantastic, right? So we go up there looking around. It's so pretty and beautiful right there in the lake. For, literally, the first time we were there, I watched a, a big deer jump into the lake, swim across, and run right past us. This is perfect, right? And so this is going to be awesome. So we go up next weekend, and I'm thinking there's going to be a house built, right? And so and we get there, there's like stakes in the ground with some spray paint on the ground with little flags on it. I'm like, what is this? Where's my house, right? And so then we go up the next week, and there's like a couple of, like, there's some, like, diggings over here, and some things going on, but we're like, what are we doing? Like, what are they doing? And so, but then begins this process, and those of you who are in concrete, you know, like, the idea of building a foundation is tedious work. You back up one week, and there's, like, this like they finally flattened, they flattened everything and built a basement. They come back the next one, there's rebar and like a grid kind of form, right? And I'm like, what are they doing? And there's like these footers over here. It's this long, tedious process of perfecting this foundation, which seemingly took forever. Like every time I come up there, I'm like, oh, where's the house? Where's the house, right? And finally there was that day we come up and the foundation's been poured. You see all this wood over here and you recognize now that the foundation is built, they can begin the process of actually building the building, the structure, the home. But everybody knows you never build a house or a structure, anything, that's not built upon a solid foundation, because if it's not, no matter how pretty it looks, in a couple of years, it's going to be cattywampus. All right, can I get in a man cattywampus? It's a great word. Everybody use it. That's your vocabulary for the week. Use it all week. No, I mean, cattywampus, man, it's like you've got this dynamic going. It's like you walk into your house one day and like, the, like, what's this? And why is the ceiling here and here? And why are there cracks everywhere? And, you know, you see parts of houses, not on the foundation. It's like sagging after a couple. I mean, it's like, that's what happens. 
And so you have to have a foundation. And then, therefore, the, the structure that you build must be grounded for life. It must be grounded on this foundation because if it is not, then the structure cannot withstand any kind of storm or difficulty or time. And I think what we find in 1 Corinthians, and there's lots of ways you can kind of read through Corinthians and talk about it and stuff, but one of the, the things that I see that we're going to dive into is Paul looks at this church and sees the foundation for, of Christ has been laid. How does he know this? Because he laid it. But he sees them building structures that they're responsible for that are not grounded on this foundation, that don't fit the foundation, that are not what are supposed to be there. And so he spends the entire letter writing to them about building a structure that's grounded for a life on the foundation of Jesus. And so I encourage you as you read, so there's a couple of things that someone told me to say this again in the service. When you go through a book, or a letter, whatever it may be, on, in, in, on Sunday morning. Please recognize that when Timothy speaks, when I speak, and when Scott speaks, we're not going to cover every single word in a verse and may not even cover every verse. And so as you're doing your own homework and you read through and you get to this morning and we're talking and I don't cover what you want me to cover, you have two, respons- you have two options. You either get frustrated, I'm not doing my job, because, of course, God wanted to go through that verse because it's important to you. Or you go, okay, he didn't cover it, but I have the ability on my own this week to go back and study it for myself and try to figure out what God was trying to lead me to in this verse. And so what I want you to hear me say is this. It's, listen, it's not my responsibility to do your Bible study for you. You do it for yourself. If you don't read your Bible every week and learn and dive into it and see what it's trying to say then would you just please start? Because I promise you, if you do that, you will become more mature and grounded in your faith and know Jesus better and be able to love your neighbors like yourself. It would be great. That's my gift to you, so do that, okay? So let's dive in this morning. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians 3. Don't worry. We'll come back to 1 and 2, but I want to start here because I think this is where the foundation is laid for, um, for all of 1 Corinthians. It says this, Starting in verse 1, please start bringing your Bibles and your journals and notebooks so you can take notes, okay? But, <clears throat> reading from the English Standard Version, it says, But I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk. This is when you were first, first came to Christ. I fed you with milk when you came to Christ. Not solid food, for you were not ready for it. But even now, and even now, you are not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? This division, he's naming the division right here. What is Apollos? And what is Paul? Simply servants. We're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted. Apollos came after me and watered, but God gave the growth. So, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth is anything. He who plants and he who waters are one. He and Apollos are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You Listen, you are God's field. Hear this. You are God's building. You are God's building. And he comes in and says, 
According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. I love that he calls himself a skilled master builder, right? He says, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it, Apollos. Let each one, this is important, he shifts gears, talking about you now, or the Corinthians themselves. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone or any of you builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, will be exposed for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work, work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. He's talking about the body of Christ as a whole. Primarily, secondarily, he's talking about the individuals who make up that church. We together are the temple. You individually, Holy Spirit resides in you. So you are the temple. It's like a both and type piece, right? And so I want you to see in this piece as Paul's coming and speaking, he's naming, he's naming what, who they were, where they are, their areas of growth, where they're missing it, their immaturities. And you've got to recognize very clearly, they, hear this, they were thought they were super mature. They're ignorant. They thought they were super knowledgeable. They thought they were really, really deep with the Lord. They thought they knew everything. And he's calling them immature. So the first thing I want you to recognize when Paul comes into the, using this language and stuff is this. Paul loves these people. Paul loves these people. He says in, in, that, in, first, in verses 1 and 2, he says, But I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people then, when you first came to Christ, but as people of the flesh, because you were infants in Christ. You were brand new babies, right? You don't, listen, I don't care. I mean, listen, when you have a kid, please don't feed them steak. That's not smart, because they're infants. They need milk. Your, kid, your parents gave you milk, right? Because you need that to begin to grow. He looks and says, I fed you with milk, verse 2, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Paul says, you were infants, and I fed you with milk. That's beautiful. It's what should happen. Because what you see is it's parents who feed their children milk. Go read Acts 18. It's the formation of the Corinthian church. He leaves Athens, Greece, comes down, meets Aquila and Priscilla. He meets Priscilla and Aquila, and then he kind of begins this church, begins to proclaim truth in the synagogues, and the church is built, right? So that's what we see. But it's brand new. They don't know Jesus. So they come to saving knowledge, and they're infants. And so he comes and he speaks to them and teaches them. As if they are infants, because that's what parents do. The most simple way of saying it is when you begin to read later when Paul is very, very adamant in his love for them, very adamant in his anger and his frustration of them, when he's very adamant about his disgust of them, recognize he's just being a good father. Who's caring, he's loving, he's speaking truth where they are bound by sin. He is a good father. He loves them. He's come and he's established Jesus as their foundation. He was, a, was the major component of their birth in Christ, proclaiming truth. And he is the major influence at the beginning of their spiritual journey. He built their foundations. He grounded them in Christ. 
That is the language of verse 10, which says, according to the grace of God given, the ability, my God given ability, according to that, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. The second thing we see is that the building that they are building as the church and as an individual, this is really important. This language here should just mess you up. It is of kingdom importance. The church is of kingdom importance. The individual lives are of kingdom importance. We see this building of the temple of God in verses 16 and 17. It says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? I mean, when, to encourage you, when you read something like that in your personal study time with the Lord this week, and you read something that says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God dwells in you? You should go, wow. That should make you stop for at least 30 minutes and go, oh, Jesus. That is amazing and terrifying all at the same time. I am your temple in whom you dwell. God lives in me. And Paul's writing says, don't you know this, guys? You're living as if you don't know it. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Their lives are important. What they are building is of utmost importance. That's why he shifts gears in front of him and says, listen, each one of you, take care how you build upon the foundation. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus, which is Jesus Christ. Paul loves them as a father. He is speaking and saying, your lives and your lives together is of kingdom importance. Therefore, here, herein lies the heart of Paul's message of the Corinthian church. The heart is this. They have a healthy foundation, but they are immature, having not built their building on the foundation of Christ they are not grounded for life. Listen, we read Scripture to see how we fit ourselves into the story. So when I say here, they have a healthy foundation. We have a healthy foundation. If we, those who are in Christ Jesus, we have a healthy foundation. But we, many of us, have these strong big areas of immaturity that God wants to work in the same way that God wanted to work in the Corinthian church. We need to recognize their immaturity is equivalent to our immaturity. If you read through some of the topics they deal with, you see it in the very first probably ten verses, disunity. There was division among them. We see it here. And it was very cultural in nature, which we won't dive into this morning, but, but it was really because they're this nouveau rich trying to establish themselves, they tried to fit themselves under either Apollos, who they respected more, under Paul, who they, who they, who they respected more, and they did it because they hope in doing that, if they would say, well, this is who we are, we're more powerful. No, no, we're more powerful. They were kind of at odds with one another. It was very cultural. It was a very, 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 very Roman thing to do in Corinth. And you can, should go read it for yourself. We may cover it more upcoming weeks. But they were literally kind of being defined by the culture in doing this. Living at odds, living at tension, their own kind of seeking their own value, their own gain, their own pursuits first, right? Trying to be better than whatever it may be. And so in this, we see this dynamic going down and there's this great division. 
Listen. Another great issue they, they deal with is sexual immorality. Struggling with being holy in the area of sex, sexuality, temptations. They deal with marriage. He comes in and deals with their marriages. And he gives the great chapter on love. Everybody loves to quote. And we're all terrible at He comes in and, and speaks about this tension of climbing the ladder and stepping on another person and putting yourself above another person. Selfishness. He comes in and speaks about the abuse or the ignorance of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and deals with that. He deals with life in the church. And a lot more. All of these things that we deal with and that we face. And so Paul is speaking into the moment. Recognizing you should be mature in these things. But you are not. But here's the dangerous thing. They thought they were. They thought they were. They could point to the gifts. They'd all raise some. They'd probably all seen someone whose leg had grown. When they prayed for them, they'd all probably spoken in tongues. They'd all probably prophesied and been accurate when they were doing it, right? They were all experiencing great blessing in life as, as material needs were being poured out upon them because we all know that the wealthier you get, the more God loves you, right, according to the prosperity gospel. That kind of, kind of prosperity gospel here in 1 Corinthians, defined by the culture because it's not from Jesus. This whole dynamic going down. Paul writes this letter. Why? Because he hates the church? No, because he loves it. He loves his children. He loves them at the very core of his being. He sees this foundation that's been laid right here, and there's a structure being built over here, and it's not up to code. And he knows either when difficulty or hardship comes in life, or when Jesus returns, he's going to shake it all. And some of them is what it says, just barely make it by jumping out the window because they can't handle it. That's what it means. And so we want to say 1 Corinthians, not so we can make fun of how immature the, first, the Corinthians were, but so we can put ourselves into their story and recognize Jesus. We have our own areas, if we're fully honest. If we're fully honest. He loves the church. He is concerned for them, Right? He is concerned about the rest of their building. That's what we see. Paul, we see, I'm going to read it again, verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any one of you builds a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus, you can't do that, right? Now, if anyone builds a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, right? It'll be exposed. The day will disclose it or expose it because it will be revealed by fire. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. There's this foundation that we have and this responsibility in verse 12 that we have. It is clear to Paul that Jesus is the foundation. But the Corinthians have a responsibility to be careful about how they build upon him. And this is important. This is kind of the crux of this. Any defects in their work, hear this. Anything that's not up to code, any defects in their work are their responsibility, their personal responsibility. It's, not, it's neither Paul, Apollos, or Jesus to blame for the building that's built upon the foundation of Jesus. It's these issues that he addresses here and in the rest of the letter. 
You see, they had a responsibility, a personal responsibility to be aware of what's going on, their insecurities, their faults, their frailties, their sin. They have a responsibility of their ability. Listen, it's by, it's by grace through faith alone that they've been saved, right? And Jesus can ultimately empower their building, right, and can be a part of that. But when they build apart from Jesus, he says, I have no part of that. You know, have you ever been around a builder and the person says, well, can you do this? And they're like, I'm not going to be a part of that because that's not the code. And somebody comes in, the county comes in, I'll get in trouble for that. Right? We had that. Why did it take so long for us to build our new wing? Because we had some people in the county who said, oh, my gosh, we're not going to let you do that. Right? Because we want to put a swimming pool on the roof. I'm just kidding. No, we want to, like, no, seriously, we want to just do normal things. We're like, no, 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 because they're really cautious. We're not going to be responsible for what you build because you can't. By code, you can't do that. And so we are responsible, and Paul is making that clear. The foundation has been laid. You must be granted for a life. You have a responsibility. And so three things, I want to make this very simple and clear here. He is making it clear they are not as mature as they think they are. Their petty divisions and their areas of sin are a prime example why. Listen, if there are people that you don't like and you live at odds with them for the rest of your life and you talk about them to other people, then you're not mature in your faith. It's super simple. If you live your life defined by people you're at odds with and you don't like and you talk to everybody about them, then you're not mature in your faith. That's what he's getting at here. If you literally are bound by sexual immorality and sin, and you kind of allow it to reside there, kind of back and forth as a lifestyle, then you're immature in your faith. If you live every day thinking your spouse is wrong and your marriage is terrible and you're not doing anything about it to surrender yourself in humility and ask God for help and do anything and everything you possibly can to make it right, then you are immature in your faith. If you are ignorant of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and not moving in them, that you are not mature in your faith. If you are abusing the gifts of the Holy Spirit as the Corinthians did, then you are not mature in your faith. You see what I'm getting at? There's always places for growth. And I'm not saying, because, and I'm not saying you're terrible. I'm not doing that. And somebody's saying, just, just wake up. So there's areas of growth. I'll never forget, I was 13, this is a true story, 13 years, I said it before, 13 years old, right? And I remember looking at Jesus going, oh. Jesus, I don't know what else there is. I've learned everything there is to know about you. What am I going to do now? I literally prayed that walking through the high school, the Pope High School. Literally prayed that. <laughs> you know, and it was like, oh, <laughs> it's really funny. And we kind of all live there. Don't we love to defend ourselves when something comes up that we don't feel comfortable with? We didn't grow up with that. That's what my pastor taught me. Number two, their foundation of Jesus is secure, just like ours but they have been building a temple that will not stand the fire that is to come. What do you live in fear of happening in your life because you're not sure your faith can handle it? The death of a child? The death of a dream? The loss of a job? Sickness in your family's life? Like, what is it for you if, 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 you're, if, if that happened? I'm not sure. All right? And these are areas that God, listen, fear is a great gift from the Lord. It puts its finger on us and God says, that's the area of your immaturity. If you will submit it to me, then I will move and ground you in life on that area. I will be strong. I will come and build something on the foundation. So what is it in our lives? What is it that can't withstand the day of evil we're going to read from in Ephesians 6? It says this, 
Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Therefore, put on the full armor of God in 613. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground because you're on the foundation of Christ and adding that in, right? And after you've done everything to continue to stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He's saying, are you grounded in life in Ephesians 6? So when the day of evil comes, why? Because it is coming. Because he hates you. He wants to destroy you. It's going to come. And when it comes, do you have this grounded for a life structure built on the foundation of Jesus that's up to code so that when the day of evil comes, you don't fall over and topple. It says, and after done everything, to stand. Are we there? Are you confident in that? Their thing They need to grow in maturity and build a temple that lasts. Super simple. They have a responsibility. They have a responsibility. Listen. They have a responsibility to devote the best of themselves and their energy to knowing Christ, falling in love with him, and being grounded with their roots into the foundation of Jesus from the day evil comes. They don't go, ah, they go, "Mm." I don't want it, but it's coming. I'm standing here strong in the Lord. Are you confident that you can stand the day evil comes? What if, I mean, God forbid, I'm about to go, not, not old or political, but just like theoretical. What if ISIS showed up in the Dallas-Ackworth area and all of a sudden bombings began to occur on a regular basis? What would you do? Like, Would, you, would your faith be able to handle that? What if I died in one of those blasts. I was trying to save people, guys. I just want you to know that, okay? No one of a blast, and I die. Like, how are you going to handle? How did God let Steve die? Oh, how are you going to handle that? Are you going to go, oh, or go, oh, damn, evil has come. Not that Muslims are evil. They're loved by Jesus. They just don't know him. Do you not know that you were God's temple? Do you not know that? And that God's spirit dwells in you? Like, do you live every day going, oh, thank you. This is good. Jesus. Mm. Mm. Because reality is this. When we submit ourselves to the foundation of Jesus and David will come, he stands up inside of us and says, bring it. He belongs. She belongs to me. Let's build a foundation. Let's be responsible so that when the day of evil comes, right? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, set apart for the purposes of God. And you are that temple. This morning, I invite the worship team to come. And we're simply going to respond very, very simply. The way we make this practical this morning, number one is this. You have to begin being honest with Jesus about where you are. Like, stop defending your, how holy you are. And just start being honest with the Lord. How do you be honest? You sit before the Lord and say, God, thank you. Always start praising and thanking him. Thank you for being my foundation. Thank you that you love me with everything inside of you. Thank you for not letting me live in my immaturity, but convicting me, challenging me, that you reside in me. So Jesus, 
Put your finger on the areas of immaturity. God, stir up inside of me my fears to know what I need to submit to you. God, would you begin to open my eyes to the areas of my own division, my, my own sexual morality, my own areas of brokenness in my relationships, and whether it's a family relationship or it's your spouse. God, open my eyes up, Jesus, to the to this need to, to, be, to be fully, fully established on you to do effective ministry the most effective ministry of loving fully and doing that through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, whatever it looks like. And on and on the line, as you read through 1 Corinthians, God, here's the deal. Begin to read it because what God's going to do is going to begin to put his finger. He's going to take Matt, who he loves with everything inside. I mean, God loves Matt. Put his finger on and says, oh, I love you too much because right here, not the code. And that's not okay. Thank you for naming it, Jesus. I need to go I need to go ask forgiveness for being a complete jerk for the last 15 years. Whatever it may be. Let me put his finger on this and allow him as you begin to read through 1 Corinthians in your own time with him. Just begin to recognize and open up these areas of maturity, these broken places. And let's just let 2016 be a year of going from milk I'll be honest with you. If you said you can have a glass of milk or you can eat filet mignon, you know which one I want to eat. The filet mignon. That's what we want, man. I want the deep things. I want to know Jesus. I want to know his love. I want to so know his love for others who I just can't help but share it. So, Father, I pray for each person this morning. Lord, I know we were kind of setting, setting some groundwork here, so we didn't go uber-practical, God, to name all these areas. But, Lord, I know that you are uber-practical in the way that you view our lives. And I'm asking Jesus right now that you would put your finger on us, that, God, it would feel heavy and light all at the same time. That you begin to put your finger on the things, God, that are not up to code. The areas you want to ground us in the foundation of Jesus. God, the areas, Lord, that of insecurity, of immaturity, of brokenness, and of sin. Lord, I pray that our sin done to us, we need healing and whatever it takes, God. We just say, Jesus, remember. I pray this in your name. We have ministry teams that are available. They can go ahead and come forward. We'll see, what are we getting ministry for this morning? Whatever you need prayer for. <laughs> Everything. I'm going to pray in immaturities, pray for that. I'm going to pray for brokenness, pray for that. I'm going to pray for someone else who's struggling, pray for that. If you need help in things, let's pray for that. If you need healing, let's pray for that. If you're asking God for a word from Him, let's pray for that. We want to pray this morning. Allow God to stir. We have our offering baskets here. You give as the Lord leads this morning. Let's make January awesome in that. Communion's available right here. Claudia is showing you how to take it. Come and celebrate Jesus. Celebrate His life and celebrate His resurrection this morning. Life and resurrection of Jesus is powerful. I need some men because I've got four women. I need men to come up here and pray right now. Three, two, one. Thank you, Britt, and thank you, David. I saw y'all getting up, right? Steve, go ahead and I'll take Steve Setzer and pray with him also. So I want us to pray this morning. I want us to let God move in power in our lives. Come to the altar if you want to. Sign up. Don't forget to sign up for small groups on the way out tonight, today. But we're going to worship for a while. Harvest is going to lead us in worship. We're going to pray. Let God seek you. Let God know you. Know what God knows about you. Let him tell you. Allow him to begin this work inside of you. And then when she gets done praying, after she prays a little bit, then you're free to go. But until then, let the Lord minister to you. All right. You guys have a great week. We love you.
Shit all you